everybody. This is Kate. And this is Mr. A. And welcome to the Popcorn and Nacho podcast. Where we talk all films you should see ASAP. So this week we're actually going to be exploring a film that Mr. A actually mentioned on our previous podcast that I was a little bit surprised uh, to understand was like a cult film and how, or had a cult following. Wasn't always like that, but yeah, in recent years it has been getting a lot more of a cult following and that is Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which... As with most Disney movies, is based on an original book or another, you know, classic yes. bit of folklore. Um, wasn't it like an old French novel or something? Yes, so it is a novel by the amazing Victor Hugo, who also brought us Les Mis. Um, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, but it really is an excellent, excellent book. So I think, I think everyone was kind of surprised when Disney decided that they were going to adapt this novel into I mean, a film i mean i know like they did i think they did, they did pocahontas came before this movie right. um but like even like that movie was you know it very much it was based on like a historical right person and you know disney has its way of like you know bending the facts a little bit to make it work for the movie because if you've ever seen like the original like little mermaid or pinocchio they're very messed up endings and stories <laughs> but disney has a tendency to like you know, like, make it more lighthearted. But, I don't know, The Hunchback of Notre Dame is just such a heavy book. People are like, are they going to be able to make this work? Like, yeah. how? there really is no easy way to tell this. And even, like, by the movie standards, I still think it's pretty harsh. Like, Yeah, and I think... It's uh, definitely not as harsh as the book, but it doesn't... It definitely has some heavy moments. Oh, for and sure. And themes, for like... For sure. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the, the themes, but this film was released in 1996. Uh, it's directed by... Gary Trosdale and Kirk Wise, who are the brilliant directors who brought us one of the most amazing animated films ever made, which is Beauty and the Beast. So <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised how great this film is, just knowing that they were at the home. But little synopsis on the film and what it's about. It essentially follows the story of Quasimodo, who is a disfigured person and he is known as the hunchback of Notre Dame. And the main reason is, is, is he is, he, he has a hunchback, he's kind of disfigured, and he lives in Notre Dame, or Notre Dame. Yeah, he actually lives in the bell tower, under the watchful eye of the very cruel Cla Judge Claude Frollo. Right. Who is like his guardian, but... By force, kind of, because... <laughs> Basically, what happens is that Frollo basically takes the child, and he basically attempts to kill him. But then the um, I don't remember the I don't remember the pope's name, but basically one of the popes comes home and he's like, "Okay, if you kill that child, like the gods of Notre Dame are gonna like yeah. send I you think to he's hell." The archbishop. I don't the think archbishop. He's the sorry, pope. my bad. Yeah, <laughs> I am very sorry. Yeah, and so the the beginning sequence of the film is just. Oh, oh, I don't even know what and to we'll, say. We'll touch more upon those elements in a bit, but yeah, it but, is a really good one. Yeah, opening. but it definitely introduces the character of Frollo, who, is, who as we said, what is, is Quasimodo's guardian, not the greatest guardian in the world. But Quasimodo ends up striking a friendship with the gypsy Esmeralda, and then along the way he meets um, Phoebus, who was the captain of the guards for Frollo at one time, um, but then kind of switches sides just because he really doesn't believe in kind of the way that Frollo kind of, you know, interacts. Yeah, yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> he just seems he's like such a friendly face. <laughs> he's not the nicest guy in the world. 
But so so the story really does revolve around Quasimodo and his relationship with Esmeralda and his relationship with Frollo and the way that he kind of sees himself. And, and I think actually in the film, you really kind of see the evolution of Quasimodo's character from what he feels he is in the beginning, which is really heavily influenced by what Frollo has really kind of put into his head to kind of where it ends, you know, at the very end with his friendship with Esmeralda and his friendship with Phoebus and really kind of what he does for the city of Paris. Um, one thing I think that um, helps because, I mean, Quasi is such a likable character in this movie. Oh. And I think most of that is because of the voice actor, uh, Tom Hulse or Tom Hulsey. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think name. it's pronounced Tom Hulsey. Tom Hulsey. Uh, I think for me will always be remembered as Amadeus. Um, he was in Amadeus who plays Mozart. Oh, he's just, he's phenomenal. And to your point, I think he was an excellent person to put into this role. He just has this great vulnerability in his voice yeah. and a sweetness that really kind of shows in the character. And I think I had read they were thinking of casting someone else to do the voice. Yeah, which... so originally it was going to be voiced by Mandy Patinkin, which if you uh, know the Princess Bride, you know is Inigo Montoya. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, wow, that would really... I don't know if that would have... Uh, not be good. Yeah, worked. It just doesn't seem like his kind of character to yeah. voice. So I'm glad that they didn't, you know, they like reconsidered that. But And then I was reading that when Halsey was doing the... Um, initial like when he was pretty much trying out for the part he thought he was doing terrible because they were all looking at the floor as he was like talking but that's because the storyboards were on the floor <laughs> <That's> <laughs> as actually he was funny. doing the voice acting and he didn't know that so he thought he thought he bombed and wouldn't get it at all but they ended up going with him and he has such um he has such a unique singing voice as well because he does get to sing a few songs um out there specifically yeah, like you said, he just has such a nice vulnerability to his voice. And, like, it wouldn't yeah. make sense for, like, oh, look at me, I'm Quasimodo and something like that. You know, like, he's not supposed to be, like, this regal or, like, self-confident yeah. character. He is, unfortunately, very vulnerable because of his upbringing. And I, right. So there is vulnerability, but there's also a nice passion behind his voice. Like, it's a very caring and, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's just a really sweet, genuine character. And I think, you know, what you're saying his voice really kind of demonstrates that. And I think what I really liked uh, that they did with this character that's very different than, you know, any other adaptation that we've seen with the Hunchback um, in, in previous, you know, films, which would probably have been impossible to do in film, is kind of the introduction of him as this kind of acrobatic individual who really is kind of able to um, explore and go through um, Notre Dame in various ways. And I think what I also like about his character is his youthfulness. So this is actually kind of just the way it is in the book. Quasimodo's like in his 20s, but in some of the older films, he seems a lot older. But in this one, I love the fact that they made him, like he's young, he's in his 20s. He's really trying to find himself or to kind of figure out who he is and what he is. And then we have, oh my god, Claude Frollo voiced by Tony J. He has to be one of the most evil, cold-hearted, uh, threatening villains in Disney's lineup yeah, and for I, me. Like, I would say he's probably, he's probably one of the best villains that Disney has ever created. I mean, I love Maleficent and 
um, Ursula from Little Mermaid, but he's just like on another level. And I think it's because in all honesty, the themes that this film deals with are really adult. When you when you kind of strip everything back and you really think about, you know, Frollo specifically, his character is, oh, he's pretty fucked up. <laughs> so basically, oh, what ends up um, going through in the movie is, you know, the gypsy Esmeralda who Quasimodo befriends. Uh, there's a very strong emphasis that he wants to... Uh, he wants to be with Yeah. Him. Yeah. And... Frollo's character, and you, and, you, and you see this in the very opening sequence, he is intent on destroying the gypsies that live in Paris. I mean, he essentially wants yeah, he to commit a, genocide. It's like he has a very strong prejudice against these gypsies. Yeah, and so he's conflicted because he has these feelings for Esmeralda that he really shouldn't, you know, kind of based upon... His beliefs. This belief that he has that these gypsies are evil. And I think that's what makes Frollo such an interesting villain is this concept of sin and damnation and evil when <laughs> what he's doing <laughs> is really kind of everything that he says he's against. And I actually was reading a little bit about the kind of the history of this character. And I was really surprised to find out that one of the inspirations that Trosdale and Wise used was a character who was actually in Schindler's List. Oh my God, Schindler's List? That's played by Ray Fiennes. So Ray Fiennes plays um, this German soldier um, whose name is um, Amon. I don't remember what the rest of it was. But he is actually secretly in love with his jewish maid Ew. but he's a, he's conflicted right because you're over here murdering jewish people and yet having these feelings you know for th this maid who is jewish as well so i was actually really surprised that 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 very heavy influence that they actually used when they created this frollo character and he's really just, oh, he's just, he's just, he's just awful. He's just a terrible human being. I mean, he really believes that he is right and no one else is. And the things that he asks, you know, his, his guards to do, you know, which is where, kind of where the character of Phoebus kind of comes in, they're just monstrous. And yeah, like, just, he is such a good villain, not only because he's just so awful, but I do think... Half of it is because the beautiful voice work of Tony J. He uh, just and this movie has such a commanding voice. He yeah. has such a very like ugh, threatening and sick voice, and yeah. just really provokes the feeling of. And he did the voice of the the um, evil guy that uh, owns the um, insane asylum in Beauty and the Beast. Oh. And Trosdale and Wise, they loved his sequence in that film and his voice. Yeah, that I they, forgot he was in that. Yeah, <laughs> that they really wanted another role for him to be in. So I'm so glad that they went with him because I, I couldn't imagine anybody else voicing that character, to your point. He has such a rich... Uh, evil sounding <laughs> voice that he just really kind of encapsulates that character i think it's like better than anyone else could. it's the kind of voice that he's like he's doing such evil things but he thinks he's right and all of it he has yeah. justifications for all these horrible things and, and i th and i really think that i i like that from the novel because in the in the novel 
uh, Frollo is very much, he's always kind of reminded me of the character in um, Les Mis, uh, the Jean Valjean character. Well, they, oh, not Jean Valjean, I'm sorry. The, the, um, the constable who kind of follows Jean Valjean in that they really do believe that what they're doing is right, even though it's, <laughs> they just take it to this level that's just like, no, this isn't okay. Killing all the gypsies is, that's genocide. That's crazy. That's insane. And, you know, burning down people's houses because they won't give you information with their family inside. That's insane and crazy. Like, he's just, you know, I, the beginning sequence song really kind of, you know, pretty much sums his entire character up in that, you know, he saw corruption everywhere except within. And that's really his his biggest problem. And then just the relationship that he has with Quasimodo in that he really kind of tries to, you know, put it in Quasimodo's head from the very beginning that he is a monster. You know, he is this thing that no one will ever love, that no one will ever care for. And the tragedy is, for the longest time, Quasi believed him, you know, because yeah. you know, he had no one else to fall back on. He had no one else to right. talk to, so. Yeah, and I think the one character who really, of course, helps Quasimodo kind of find himself and feel like maybe there is something more to him than Frollo is the Esmeralda character. Which, um, also on a side note, she is very well handled in this movie. I like Yeah. Like her general character, um, because her she's very much like feels that her people is being oppressed by yeah. people like Frollo and I think it does a good job of like I don't know, kinda of conveying just like the dangers of prejudice in that yeah. sort of way. And, and I really like Especially her. with her song God Help the Outcasts. Uh. Like it's such a beautiful song and it beautifully just portrays how yeah. she feels about And I actually really like Demi Moore who does the voice of Esmeralda. She has that kind of she kind of has like a like a uh, a brash voice period and I actually think that lends to her power as a female character. I think that's the one thing I really like about Esmeralda's character very much like Pocahontas, I really do feel, and like the Mulan character that's going to come, you know, I think after this, very strong woman who truly does believe in, right, her people and, you know, defending people who she feels are being wronged. I mean, she's the one who steps up when, you know, things are going bad for Quasimodo during the Feast of Fools. I actually think it's the Festival of Fools. Oh, I'm sorry, the, the Festival of Fools. And, you know, I just, I really like her character. I like her strength. You know, she's really kind of going to stand up for the things that she believes in and that she believes are right. And I don't know, I just think you really can kind of relate to that. And again, like I said, I think she really allows Quasimodo to kind of ask himself, am I more than just what I'm being told I am? You know, am I really a monster? Right. It's very, like, just empowering to mm -hmm. see her fight back against it. And I do think uh, her friendship with Quasi really gives him the strength to fight back as well, yep. like, to not be oppressed. And that ultimately leads to the ending, which we won't give away, but he does end up, you know, coming through, and he actually you know, defies Frollo in the end. So Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he really kind of finds his, finds who he is. Um, and really kind of defines for himself who he is going to be. And I think that I, I, I think that this 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 film is extremely empowering when you really kind of look at all of the characters, of course, say for Frollo, but even the the, the, the other characters in the film. So uh, Phoebus is voiced by Kevin Klein. Um, I actually like his role too. He's I mean he's not I don't think he's like 
a main part of the story, but he kind of plays the love interest to Esmeralda and then a bit of a friend to Quasimodo. But I also like the fact that he kind of stands up against Frollo in, you know, something that he wants him to do. Um, you know, he's got beliefs as well. And then there's the gargoyles, which I kind of... I kind of feel like the gargoyles are like the weaker part of the um, film. That's just my opinion, but I mean they're fine. I think one of the um, one of the gargoyles is voiced by Jason Alexander. God, he sucks in this movie. He was from the Seinfeld. <laughs> he, he feels like Seinfeld. he feels like you know what he feels like. He feels like the Will Smith of like live action Aladdin. Like <laughs> he's like whatever, but why is he here? Like his voice sticks out like. <laughs> It's like yeah. a sore thumb. It's like, why? It's Just... fine. I, I think that the film needed some levity because, I mean, you're really talking about some pretty crazy themes here. So. I mean, it's so crazy. Disney assumed it would get a PG rating because, like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of risque subjects in it. But, I mean, surprisingly, it's a G movie. You know, it's, uh, it's actually uh, approved for all audiences. Yeah, so I when I was kind of reading a little bit about the backstory of really how this film got made and kind of how it evolved it, I, I thought it was fascinating so you know originally Disney wanted to adapt this film um, a few years prior to 96 they just weren't sure how they were going to do it and Trosdale and Wise were actually working on trying to get an adaptation of the Orpheus tale which I wish they would like do that because that sounds freaking awesome. I love the. I don't know if you know the story of Orpheus, but I love the story of Orpheus, and uh, I wish they would work on that. But uh, I think Jeffrey Katzenberg, who of course is now kind of known for the DreamWorks studio, that's a whole that's a whole another can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> he was then the head of Walt Disney Studios, and he wanted you know to to make a Hunchback uh, adaptation, so he went to Trosdale and Wise and told them hey, you guys are going to work on this, stop the Orpheus crap, which if Trosdale and Wise, you need to go back and make that Orpheus film. I think that would sound like friggin' amazing. Um, and I, I just think what's really interesting is just all of the research that they did for this film. They went to Paris. They, you know, visited, the, visited Notre Dame. They really kind of got a feel for the entire, you know, cathedral itself. They went to the Palace of Justice, where Frollo is located, and then they went to where the original site of the Court of Miracles is at, so that they really could get a sense of the environment for the film. And I think that you really do feel that in, in, in the movie. Yeah, I didn't know they went to such lengths to get the sets right, but that's, that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I think it was just amazing. And then again, I just, I think the original story is so complex that you really couldn't make this. If you really took the original story, this would not be a family-friendly film. So I really think that the adaptations that they made. I think. I mean, I think if they did follow it to the letter, I think that would have been one of Disney's darkest, most uh. risque <laughs> movies to date. And it's funny because it it really was kind of a risque film for them after it was released because. So many people I, I I had read really protested about its themes, its discussion of religion, its discussion of you know infanticide in, in the very beginning when Frollo is trying to kill the baby, the baby Quasimodo, the racism that you know Frollo exhibits towards the gypsies. There was just a lot of things that I think 
kind of anger people with this film but i love the fact that disney kind of stood by and said no look we were proud of this adaptation we think that we did a really good job utilizing the source material and i i think that they do they did I, i've read the hugo novel and it is a very dark novel and i just think that they did a really good job of presenting it to younger audiences and older audiences and really kind of presented just a, a, a neat way to kind of look at the story of Quasimodo and to get you interested in maybe reading the novel right further or seeing like other film adaptations of it. But I think the other thing that's really strong about this film is the music. Oh my God, the music. <laughs> First off, uh, The Bells of Notre Dame is easily one of the, like, best intros to a Disney movie ever, in my opinion. I don't care what you say. Like, the music, it just captures the feel so well. It has a awesome melody. Um, the visuals of the song is very breathtaking for me. Oh. And it's like... I guess we haven't talked like a little about the animation, but like the animation is gorgeous. Like it's oh, absolutely it's beautiful. Um, yeah. But originally there wasn't actually going to be an opening number. The, the bells of Notre Dame was not going to happen. It was just going to be like a spoken exposition and a flashback oh, really? montage. But Katzenberg really didn't like it. He felt like there was something missing in it, and so he asked um, their lyricist Stephen Schwartz and then composer Alan Menken uh, to create a new song for the sequence, and like. There were about a third done with the entire project when that melody was finally finished and put into the film. And honestly, I think that scene would just uh, be completely devoid of all the heart and emotion um, without that song. Because my God, it's so good. I mean, so <laughs> much is told in that intro, in that beginning sequence, you know, about uh, just about everything that's going to happen in this film. And that music, oh, it is just... Like the orchestration, uh, the, the choir. <laughs> the choir. And, and again, I think what I really love is kind of going back to, you know, understanding that time period. And I think that Mencken really kind of, you know, utilized church music, Latin music, you know, during that time frame to create that piece, specifically the, the Bells of Notre Dame. Um, and it has such a power to it. Oh, just I think when I remember watching the opening sequence I was floored floored with what was and I hate to say this not so much with what was going on although it was definitely like, wait what but the music yeah oh the music just absolutely crazy and then probably another uh, song I, I mean all the songs in this film are strong I would I mean, say with the exception of a guy like you yeah <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, like everyone who loves this movie agrees that song is terrible. It has nothing yeah. to do with the story. It's not very well sung. The lyrics are not good. Yeah. The visuals are eh. I mean, it's 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 the it, to me it's kind of like the Broadway e song in the film. But to your point, like I just don't really understand why they put it in there or it was needed. I don't really care for it, but out there which oh beautifully sung by tom holsey and again like i think the vulnerability to quasimodo's voice is nice because it's not a very perfectly sung song but you can tell it comes from the heart yeah like i love how much heart is in that song oh, it's like and it's such a beautiful song when you really listen to the lyrics 
of it. So I think that Schwartz does a beautiful job of just kind of presenting. It's really Quasimodo's song. You know, it's really getting to understand how he is, where he's at. Um, and it's prefaced in the beginning. You know, Frollo is singing to him um, in the very beginning. And it's just, it's really interesting because, again, it gives us insight into the dynamics between Frollo and Quasimodo. And I love to sing that to people when, like, they're annoying me and I like telling them, like, Remember what I've told you. <laughs> you are deformed and you are ugly. <laughs> but, I mean, it's really strong, right? He's continuing to reaffirm, you're a monster, you know, in that song. It's just, oh, And then, oh, God, the help the outcasts. Yeah. <sighs> I'll even say, like, the Festival of Fools. Well, not definitely the strongest song in the movie. I love Topsy-Turvy. Yeah, and Topsy-Turvy is, like, it's a nice, has a nice melody. It's very it upbeat and... um. It's very catchy. It's a very it catchy is. song. Yeah, I love that one. But then God Help the Outcasts. Oh, and then um, Heaven's Light, which is the uh, other Quasimodo song. It's a very touching, nice song about really Quasi's feelings for Esmeralda. Yeah. And then, oh my God, Hellfire. Oh my God. Everyone in the world loves Hellfire. And for good reason. It's, oh my God. Yeah, and I think I think you've said this to me before, but I think you told me this is like the number one yeah, it's villain like on, song. Yeah, on most people's list, if you... Look up like top ten Disney villain songs. Like this is gonna be number one, like wow. almost always. Cause, and honestly, I don't, I don't, I can't really say I blame them. Cause it's like this song is, I mean, the lyrics, the orchestration, just oh my god, and especially the visuals. Yeah, my god, it's so catching. Out of like okay, like the opening sequence. Okay, I was like whoa. Okay, but when this song gets sung, and to your point, the animation that is going on. The visuals that you're seeing, I was like, okay, this is not like <laughs> any other Disney movie I have ever seen. I mean, we're talking about lust. We are talking about damnation. I mean, it's intense. And then these, like, I think what's like my, one of my favorite parts is just when these, all these, like, tall men with red robes come out and, like, they're just pretty much, like, damning him. And it's yeah. like, oh, my God. And then, like, what he's doing with the scarf, it's like, oh, my <laughs> God, it's so creepers. It's just, it's it's really just, to me, like I said, it's like, whoa, this is not like any other Disney film that you've seen. You know, even Pocahontas, I mean, granted that, you know, they, they took a historical figure, but it still wasn't as heavy as, I think, just that sequence of Hellfire. Um, and to your point, like Tony J, he sings it, his voice again. I really think that specific sequence, you really kind of see the struggle that he is having. Right. And I think it's like, it's almost like Frollo is just getting pushed to the brink of insanity. And like, that's just yeah, the crazy. climax of that, he's his mental state. And the rest of the film, he's just gone. <laughs> he's just gone. Um, like, this is where, that's where Frollo goes from like, okay, like he's, really a creep but he's not too awful to like okay i'm gonna mass genocide a lot a lot of gypsies and yeah. it's like okay this guy's a villain this guy is so irredeemable yeah, he's crazy and then i even like the court of miracles song when they find the court of miracles i think it's cute and clever to be honest with you you know and how the gypsies kind of see uh quasimodo and, and phoebus <laughs> and then I actually thought what was really interesting was that the the ending song, which a lot of people don't really care for, it's called Someday. Yeah. And I think it was sung by the All For One band from way back when. I think they were like an R&B group. But what I thought was really interesting was in the Spanish version of Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's actually sung by um, the famous Mexican singer Luis Miguel, and it's called Sueña. And it was like a huge, huge hit. And... 
Uh, I love Luis Miguel, and I actually really like the Netflix series Luis. It's actually really interesting, yeah. but I just thought that was neat. I had no idea that he actually signed the um, song for the um, Latin American like, version. Like, Hunchback, it's a good movie. I really, like, it's such a great movie. It's, like, great voice cast, um, a great way of telling the story, and it's just a great message overall, but... I think what just really elevates it to, like, top-tier Disney film is the music. Because, like, it is so good. Like, you really need to watch the movie for yourself and just, just listen to the music because it's just, it's so good. It's very, very good. I think this is definitely one where, like, even if you just listen to the soundtrack itself, it is so powerful. It's going to make you want to see the film. So I actually didn't see the film first. I actually heard the soundtrack. Uh, a really? friend of mine had it, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> and then they told me it was a Disney movie, and I was like, what? And I was like, I was really kind of surprised. So then I went and saw it. And again, it's it's not like any other Disney film that you've ever seen. And I totally agree with you. I think this is just, I think it is one of the best made Disney films of all time. Of course, you know, my top ones, of course, I love Beauty and the Beast. I'm a huge Beauty and the Beast freak. I love Princess and the Frog. Those are probably my two favorites. But Hunchback would be right up there. And again, I do think it's because, you know, of, of the themes that it deals with, these very rich, complex characters these oh, extraordinarily complex, rich songs, it just really complements it. And it's really sad that this movie didn't get the love it deserved at the start, because unfortunately this was not a financial success for Disney, and of course like people did not really care for this movie, but... Uh, 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 thankfully, over time, like a lot of more people have been discovering it and just talking praises about it, and I'm really happy for that because yeah, that's that's oh gosh, that is so awesome. And I read that they're going to be uh, doing a live adaptation of this film. Mm. I'm a little nervous. I don't know. Um, I heard Josh Gad is producing. He's oh, the Josh Olaf Gad. Oh no, LeFou from the Beauty and the Beast. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. God, but... God, he was so forgettable in that movie. I forget he was in that. <laughs> I forget he was LeFou. I forgot he was in that. Movie. Yeah, he was LeFou. It was. I don't know. He was kind of like I said. I'm a Beauty and the Beast. I love the animated film, so I didn't love the live action film, but. Um, We'll see. It's still in the works, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I really hope that they're able to capture uh, just just the richness of this film, um, which really truly is. I just think one of the one of one of the best Disney films that they've ever made. And like I said, I think that they 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 had every right to be proud of this adaptation. And it's like, why recommend it? Like just the music. The characters, like the dark themes, the just the like your brilliant voice cast, oh, brilliant. the the animation. Yeah. Like I will, I'm gonna like take a bit of like a hot take here, as they say, but I don't think we're ever gonna get another Disney movie quite like Hunchback. No, I agree with like, you. Like I think it's it's a once in a lifetime spectacle. Yep. Like that movie just had all the right ingredients, all the right yeah, like just themes and characters and like voice actors to make it work as yeah. just. A very memorable experience. Absolutely. There will never be another Frollo. I don't think we'll ever. That's why I'm a little nervous with the Quasimodo. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we'll see. We'll be open. But, I mean, this is just absolutely just an amazing film. Um, and, of course, it's streaming on Disney+. Plus. So get Disney+. Plus Or go buy it because it really is that amazing. You should just buy the film. Thank you for listening to the Popcorn and Nacho podcast. And we'll be talking more films you should see ASAP. Mm-hmm.